0: Lots of great stuff happening. Today, uh, we are finishing up a three-week series that we've been in on the Trinity. Matt launched us out on week one with a talk on the Father. Gabby spoke last week on the Son. I listened online. They both did a great job. This week, I come back from Africa and get to talk about the Holy Spirit, God's perfect timing. And so we're going to dive in and talk about the Holy Spirit today. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis is a word that means beginning, origin, creation. And that's where we're going to start today, in the very first verses of the very first book of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, it says this. Hear these words again afresh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The rabbis in Jesus' day loved this picture of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. They used to talk about it endlessly. They would write about it. And because of that word hovering, they would often compare the Spirit to a bird. This summer, my brother and I took my dad for his 70th birthday on a little father-son river trip. And we were on the Deschutes River for two days and overnight, just the three of us on a raft. And while we were there, I'm not really much of a bird guy, but there were these sort of gray crane-like birds just these majestic birds on the Deschutes River and they would just we would kind of chase them down the river as we floated and they would just right in front of us just hover so majestically and effortlessly right above the surface of the water we just kept seeing them and watching them and enjoying them and the idea is that from the very beginning of creation when God made the heavens and the earth and saw that it was good at the very heart of that process right from the start We see the Spirit. We find the Holy Spirit. And often the rabbis would compare the Spirit to one bird in particular. Any guesses what bird the rabbis would pair the Spirit with? Yeah, a dove. One rabbi wrote this, And the Spirit of God was brooding over the water like a dove which broods over her young. Another rabbi writing about creation says, The throne of divine glory was hovering over the face of the waters, even as a dove hovers over its nest. Now we fast forward from this scene just real quickly. Because there came a time in the history of the nation of Israel, a long period when the Spirit of God seemed to be real quiet. And the people of God were were wondering, will the Spirit ever hover again? And then this man, Jesus, shows up on the scene. And he goes to be baptized by John in the waters of the Jordan. And as he does, listen to what happens. Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You see, in this scene we're being told that once more the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters in jesus something new is starting god is recreating something here and through him the spirit has been unleashed in our world once again furthermore we notice in this passage it's one of those rare moments when we see the father and the son and the spirit all explicitly together in the same place We have Jesus there physically. We have the Father there vocally. And we have the Spirit descending in bodily form like a dove. The Trinity, the triune God, present together in this moment. All right, back to Genesis. Genesis, this time chapter 2. The Old Testament, if you don't know, was written in a language called Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And in both of these languages, the word for spirit is the same word that's used for the word breath. So spirit and breath are the same exact word. In Hebrew, it's the word ruach. Ruach. You kind of have to do like loogie sound in the back of your throat at the end just to give it some kick. Ruach. Say that with me. Ruach. Turn to your neighbor and say ruach. Now say, quit spitting on me, neighbor. Um, Now listen for a moment to the very first time That a human being was filled with breath, with spirit. Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being or a living soul. Have you ever wondered why God did it this way? This kind of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, life-giving thing? Because he doesn't do it that way in the rest of creation. With all the rest of creation, how does God create? He speaks it into existence. He speaks things into life. He just says to the animals and the creatures of the sea and the birds of the air, he says, just be existing. He just speaks them into existence. That's how all the rest of creation is formed. But when it comes to human beings, he breathe into us to give us life. He imparts his spirit. One writer I read this week says it this way. The writer of Genesis apparently wants us to understand that God's desire is not just that this man's body be filled with oxygen. The text doesn't say man became animated tissue. It says man became a living soul, a spiritual being filled with God's own breath, God's own spirit. So the spirit comes to bring life. Another time we see the spirit demonstrating its life giving power is in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is this prophet, this prophet of God. And all of a sudden, one day, he finds himself in a valley filled with skeletons, dry bones, dry dead old lifeless bones everywhere and then just to demonstrate the life-giving power of his spirit this is what god says this is ezekiel 37 the sovereign lord says to these bones i will make breath enter you and you will come to life I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put Ruah in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You see, you know that God is God when you experience the life-giving power of His Spirit. Friends, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, His breath, brings life and vitality and newness and aliveness in this world. Do this with me just for a minute. Exhale as far as you can exhale and then take a real deep breath in. Let's do that together. Now remember just for a second who gave you that breath, who that breath is from and what that breath means. Not just that you're living, not just that neurons are firing, but that you are a spiritual being created by the living God. You know, I'll never forget the moment when my first child, my daughter Skylar, was born. It's a pretty unique moment because the delivering doctor actually at the very last minute like pulled me in and was like, I'm not delivering this baby, you're delivering this baby. So she wasn't even really out yet and the doctor like hooks my fingers underneath her little armpits and so I'm the one who delivered her. I pulled her right out, and there she was. And every father dreams of this moment when their little girl will be born and you imagine her so cute and cuddly and she was slimy and nasty and her head was massively deformed. She looked like such an alien. I thought, is this thing human or not? But she cutened up right away and I loved her instantly. And to see that baby girl take her very first breath, to hold her in my hands as she gasped and sucked it in. It was like nothing I'll ever forget. Now again, that's the power of the breath of God in our lives. Fast forward with me and let's make another connection. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the grave and stories and rumors are starting to float around about this because Of these rumors, the authorities are on high alert and the disciples are scared to death, huddled in a locked room, just waiting for Roman soldiers to pound down the door, burst in and arrest them. But then all of a sudden, Jesus appears in their midst and listen to what the New Testament says. Listen to what Jesus says to them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think that imagery is an accident? No way. You see, in Jesus, God is breathing life into His children again. Through the Spirit, God is giving new life to everyone who will receive Him. And it's like Jesus is saying this, this, to face what you guys will face, to do what I'm calling you to do, to be the church that I long for you to be, you are going to need the Spirit of God present with you in a way that it hasn't been since sin entered this world in the Garden of Eden. In other words, friends, Jesus comes to give us the Spirit-filled life back. The communion and presence and intimacy with God that we lost when sin entered the world is now offered to you and to me by Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is offered to you and me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is why I have to say this to you today. This is not an option for Christ followers. The Holy Spirit, His presence and power and work in our lives is not extra credit. He's not an add-on. He's not an add-on item on Amazon. He's not an elective that you can choose or can choose not to take. You see, in the evangelical church, we spend a lot of time talking about the Father, we give a lot of attention to the Son. And both of those realities are extremely good things. But, but sometimes we shy away from the Holy Spirit. And yet, in the Gospel of John, the Bible couldn't be more clear. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, He, the Holy Spirit, is the one who will lead us into all truth. He is the one that will empower us to keep God's commands and live lives of righteousness. The Spirit is the one who does it. In other words, to have the Holy Spirit and follow His lead is central to what it means to be a Christian in this world, a follower of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is right in the middle of the good news that Jesus came to offer. We don't have the Gospel and then we have the Spirit. The Spirit is in the very center of the Gospel. You see, it's no accident that even in English, when we see a creature, an animal, a horse for example, that has sort of a fiery sense of life, we'll describe that animal, that horse as what? Spirited. Spirited. Wild and untamed and filled with energy and power. And sometimes we'll talk about spirited children and We're drawn to that in kids. These kids that just have this fire in them, right? We love it when kids are spirited, especially when they're other people's kids. (laughs) Here's the point. We love people who have a fiery hunger for life, people who seem to fully and blessedly live because we sense, we know, deep down in our bones and soul that this is who we are supposed to be. That that's the kind of life we were created for. That God intends for us to live. A life of fullness and vibrance and God-powered, gospel-centered spirituality that just flows out of us. Jesus says this very thing in John chapter 7. He says, Whoever believes in me As Scripture has said, rivers of living water... Now imagine that image for a minute. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. He says, you want this life that you know you were created for, that God longs for you to have? You want to live in all richness and vitality and fullness in this world the way you were created to? Then get a hold of the Spirit... Allow the Spirit to live and move in you because that's how it will happen. That's what Jesus says. You see, the power that brings dead, dry bones and dry, barren souls to life is offered to you and to me in the Holy Spirit. Another thing I want to point out about the Spirit is in the Old Testament that it was given to provide guidance for the nation of israel in a corporate way we see the spirit in the old testament throughout but it's always given for the nation for the this one people group as a whole and so even when it was poured out on individuals like moses and gideon and david and samson and saul and samuel they all received an anointing of the holy spirit but it was for the purpose of leading the nation and it was only for a season of their life it's a very specific thing And for the Jews, the most famous and defining example of God's Spirit leading His people in the Old Testament is this moment in the book of Exodus. You'll remember it. God is delivering His people from slavery. And they're led out of Egypt by Him in the form of what? A pillar of fire at night. You remember this? The Spirit of God leading them forth as a pillar of fire at night. So we have these limited moments with the Spirit in the Old Testament. But God makes this promise. He's looking ahead and He says, One day I will pour out My Spirit on everyone. On all people. This is Joel chapter 2. I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Even there's hope for even you old guys out there. Your young men will see visions even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And Joel's looking forward to that day when the Spirit will be unleashed through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ into this world and onto His church for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. God says, the day is coming when this will happen. When the pillar of fire won't just be for one group of people for one time, but for all people for all time. And then it actually happened. What the prophet Joel says, it actually happened. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And fire again comes down from heaven, only this time, instead of it being just one pillar of fire to guide Israel, one nation, this time the fire separates and becomes many tongues of flame that rested on individuals from every nation. Listen to this. All of them, all the people, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. You see, the fire that once led God's people out of slavery, out of bondage has now come to lead all of humanity out of the bondage of sin and death. That happens through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now being released to lead and guide not just a nation, but every nation. Not just a person, not just a leader, but every single person who will receive Him. Consider Jesus' final words to His followers. The very last Thing he says before he ascends to be with the father his last bit of instruction his final words I'm thinking they're going to be fairly significant they are, listen to these he says you will receive power think about that for a moment it's not just about knowing stuff he doesn't say you will receive a really cool message He doesn't say, this is going to be a phenomenal story to tell, isn't it guys? He doesn't say, you know, there's some really good teaching that I've offered that you can pass along when you talk about me. No, he says, you need more than that. You need power and you will receive it when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is a huge task, a measurable task. Jesus says, the task I'm giving you is pretty much impossible except for the fact that the power of the presence of God can and will be poured out into your life through the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit is who enables us to be who we are called in Christ to be. So how? How do we do it? How do we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we tap into this power and presence that is available to us through Christ in the Holy Spirit? Well, to answer this question, we probably need an entire series, so I've already decided that a series is coming where we will be spending a number of weeks exploring life in the Spirit. It's one of the things God sort of lobbed on me this week. This is a series that you need to do, and we will do it sometime in this next year. But for today, let me just give you two things, two ways to walk in the power of the Spirit. One, relate to Him personally. Sounds simple, but it's so important. We must resist the temptation to treat the Spirit like an it and not a person. I bring this up because sometimes with all these images for the Holy Spirit, the dove and the breath and the fire, we can adopt sort of a Star Wars theology. You know, Luke used the force. Let it guide your actions. And I love Star Wars as much as the next guy, not as much as Pastor Matt, but as much as normal people love Star Wars. <laughs> Let me say this. The Holy Spirit is not something we work to manipulate in order to make stuff levitate and control people's minds, even our own. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's a personal God. God. He's a person of the Trinity. He is a person who is personal. Listen again to how Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus speaks. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. That's the presence piece, right? How do you experience the presence of God? It's through the Spirit. He'll be with you forever, he says. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Do you notice the pronouns? Do you notice the relational language? This is not an impersonal force. This is a personal being. This is so important, friends, because the Bible offers this invitation to us. Be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. But if you try to get filled with an impersonal force, you'll go about it in an impersonal way. An example of this is in some traditions, the divine is seen as an impersonal force. And so the approach to connecting to this force is to empty yourself, to empty your mind of thought and desire and words until there's just nothing left. That's the way you tap into this impersonal force. But that is not the Christian approach. That is not the Jesus approach. The Christian approach to connecting with God is... Prayer. I'm glad you know that. You've got work there. It's prayer. And prayer is not the emptying of the mind and thought, of thoughts and desires and words. It's this it's the filling of the mind with the thoughts and desires and words of the Spirit. See, we don't empty our minds, we fill our minds with the things of God, the things the Holy Spirit tells us and reveals to us. It's a completely opposite approach. It's not mechanical, it's relational. But Christians all the time get this wrong when they try to relate with the Holy Spirit. They start treating the Holy Spirit kind of weird, like this force that we need to acquire and manipulate in some way. And it becomes this deal where if you do these things, you get this power. And we end up with these checklists and these mechanisms to try and these weird manipulative environments. Maybe you've been in some like that. And if we do all the right stuff, then it comes and you get this special, you know, X-Men power. No, no. You know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk a lot about what happened in Acts chapter 2. When the fire comes down and the tongues and the unleashing of the Spirit. But we must never forget Acts chapter 1. You see, before the Holy Spirit gets poured out on the church in Acts chapter 2, the disciples are huddled together in an upper room in Acts chapter 1. And here's what the Bible says. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all joined together... Constantly in prayer. Read that with me. They all join together, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You see, friends, experiencing the closeness of the Holy Spirit can never be separated from prayer because you get to know a person through dialogue and listening and time spent together. If you want to experience the excitement and growth and joy of the Acts 2 church, then you've got to pray like the Acts 1 disciples. And so I call you again, church, in this season of our life together to prayer. Not to kind of prayer, not to dabble in prayer, but to be devoted in prayer. To spend time with the Lord. To get on your face before Him. To carve out significant chunks and moments where you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and you listen and you talk and you share deeply and intimately. You see, the first key to experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is to pray. And if you need help with this, because I understand prayer can sometimes be intimidating. We have people down front here every Sunday who would love to pray with you. We have people in the back in the connect room. Do you know how you get better at praying? Learn from those who pray. Pray with those who pray. Do you need a kickstart? you need help? you need assistance? Connect with these people. They would love to help you become a person of prayer. If you're a woman and you're here this morning, our women's ministry is having a six weeks brava plus prayer experience that's going to start here real soon it's going to be all about exploring prayer and how to pray take advantage of that that's the first way we step into the power of the spirit we relate to him personally we pray and second we embrace his mystery if you want to experience the holy spirit fully you have to embrace his ministry you know it's interesting that God first reveals himself to us as a father Because a father is an image that's very concrete to us All of us know what a father is We have fathers, we know fathers, we are fathers We're married to fathers Then he comes to us as a son And we know what a son is as as well But even more than that, the Son actually comes to earth and takes on the nature of a human. He touches us and walks with us and teaches us. Jesus the Son is another very tangible revelation of God. So God says, I'm Father and I'm Son. You can understand that. But then He comes to us and says, but I'm also Spirit. It's almost as if God is saying, and now I just need to remind you that my will and ways are above your will and ways that I cannot be contained by the images of this world. You see, God refuses to be boxed in and pinned down and reduced to a formula. He reminds us of this in the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation uh, with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he's one of the religious leaders. And if anyone wanted to pin down the details of the spiritual life, it was the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees had rules on how to follow the rules. To say they did not like ambiguity was an understatement. They wanted every single detail covered. So Nicodemus, this Pharisee, he comes to Jesus and says, Give me the formula. Just tell me how it works, Jesus. Lay it out for me. And there's a long dialogue here, but in his response to Nicodemus, listen to what Jesus says. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, there is mystery to the Spirit. The Spirit reminds us that to follow God means surrendering a life of linear predictability. Not in the Spirit. And even though, friends, for some of us, mystery is hard to embrace, when we embrace it, we will find freedom and excitement and dependence and thrill and even security in a weird way. Here's what author Calvin Miller says. He says this, We must have mystery to live. We must have mystery. To really experience life and to live the way we're created to live, we must have mystery. We must have mystery, he says, to experience the vitality of God's involvement in our praise. You see, if it's all just predictable, if it's all just laid out, if it's all just step one and two and three and four, then there is no life. But that's why the Spirit comes to say, no, that's not how we'll do it so if we relate to him personally by praying then we embrace his mystery by surrendering how do you embrace the mystery of the spirit you surrender to the will of the spirit to the control of the spirit in your life and maybe just a simple way to start that process to begin to step into surrender to the spirit is at the beginning of every day when you're sitting in your car before you get out to walk into the office or when you sit down at your kitchen table in the morning with a hot cup of coffee, or even when you roll over and are still sitting on the side of your bed when you first wake up, just put your palms out in front of you like this. Just physically take on a posture of surrender and say something like this to God. God, I embrace the mystery and the unpredictability of following you. Holy Spirit, I surrender to You. Take control of my life, my thoughts and words and actions. This day, I give them to You. I want to go not where I lead, but where You lead. Embrace the mystery and then begin to experience the vitality of a God-led life through surrender to the Holy Spirit. And friends, if you think about it, That's exactly what communion and baptism are all about. There are these moments where we declare again, where we put a stake in the ground to say, I surrender. I surrender to trying to cleanse my own sin and accept the cleansing power of the cross. I surrender to trying to earn your love and instead receive it as a gift through the death and resurrection of your son. I surrender maintaining control of my own life and now I give all that I am to you. Full control to you again, Lord. And I'll probably try and take some control back this week, but right now, once again, I surrender. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Listen to these amazing words. Will you pray them with him? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How does he live in me? By the power of the Spirit. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this morning, we're going to come to the table. We're going to come to share this meal where we remember the death and resurrection of our Lord. And as we come, we Surrender We surrender again to his love To his grace To his lordship To his control of our lives And so friends I just want to ask you Is there a place in your life right now Where you need to surrender Is there something you need to hand over to him Maybe it's your whole life Maybe it's your entire existence Maybe you're still gripping the steering wheel of your world With white knuckles And you need to just let go and say Lord I'm yours Take control of me have your way with me. I surrender to being your child. Maybe that's, that's the day that you need to have today. Maybe that's the decision that you need to walk into this morning. But as you come to the table, talk to Him. This is not some weird mystical moment where you know the forces are flowing. This is a chance to talk to the living God of heaven and earth, who loves you so much that He gave His Son. And so, talk to the Spirit this morning as you come to the table. Bring the elements back to your seat and receive them when you're ready. And then, also this morning, we have the privilege of baptizing some friends from our congregation some people who say i'm ready today's the day i want to declare publicly that in christ i am a new creation that the death and resurrection of jesus is for me that i now want to surrender all of who i am to the living god and walk in the power of the spirit that's baptism that's these waters that's what's going to happen in this tank right over here in just a few minutes and we have some folks who are ready and planned out to get baptized but maybe you're here this morning And this is the day for you too. Maybe this is the day for you to say, I want to follow Jesus, I've been holding back, I've been holding off, but I'm ready. I declare Him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've already declared Him as Lord and Savior, but you've never walked into that tank, and you've never united yourself publicly with His death and resurrection through baptism. I'm talking really fast, but maybe today's your day. Don't wait. Why would you wait? Do you understand the the blessing and the life available to you? Do you understand the urgency of God's love for you? This is not just some religious show where you fall off the stage almost because you're so excited. This is is your life and eternity. This is a God who says, Come be my child. I'm dying for you to have rivers of living water flow through your being. If you're here this morning and you're... Prepared to be baptized. And when we come forward for communion, you just head on back and start getting ready. If you're here and you want to make that decision right now, come on back. There are some pastors in the back that would love to talk to you about if you're ready to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and declare that publicly through baptism. So I'm going to pray. The communion tables will be open. Folks being baptized can head back. And if today's your day, we'd love to see you back there as well. Pray with me if if you would. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your enormity, for your mystery. Thank you that you're our Father. Thank you that you're the Son who comes and touches and walks with us. And thank you, Lord, that you are spirit. And that we can surrender to you even though we do not know exactly where you will lead, but we can trust you. So Father, I pray today for these friends who will be baptized. Pray for our congregation, Lord, that we would be more and more a church and a community surrendered to your will and ways and to the leading of your spirit amongst us so that your kingdom can go forth, so that the good news of the gospel can be shared, and so that people can experience the life of the living waters in their soul. That's our prayer. We thank you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen.